Let's turn to Romans. Chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. And verse 15 says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that uh, we can come together this evening to be in this place, to once again come around your word, to once again drink at the waters of your living word. We pray, Father, today that you would just minister to us through this, your word, that you refresh our souls by it, you'd encourage us through it, and that you'd be exalted, Father God, as we study your word together. Give me wisdom, I pray as only you can give, that I might have clarity of thought and might have simplicity of speech and might speak uh, the truth according to your word. I pray tonight, Lord God, that we would be encouraged by your word and that you'd be exalted. We thank you now for this night. We pray that you bless as we join together in this place. And we surely give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We said last week that uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 15 brings to us the next... Uh, uh, instruction of the Apostle Paul to you and I as believers. He tells us here that we rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. And as we said, that here again Paul is concerned about our reaction to other believers. This time to people who are rejoicing and weeping. Last week we considered rejoice with them that do rejoice and so now this week let's consider the command to weep with them that weep. I want you to notice with me firstly tonight that this command is a part of the command to love, mentioned back in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, we read this, Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. We're told in Romans 12 9 that we're to, let, we're to love without dissimulation. You and I are to have a genuine love one for another. We're to love with sincerity. We're to love without pretense. And in the context of Romans 12, 9, we find Romans 12, 15 is speaking about the actions of that love. And in the context of Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Romans 12, 15 speaks of genuine love being shown by being genuinely able to share in both the rejoicing and the weeping of others. If you and I are going to love without dissimulation, if you and I are going to love sincerely, without pretense, then we need to share in the rejoicing and the weeping of others. If we genuinely love each other in the body of Christ, then you and I will weep with those that weep, and you and I will rejoice with those that rejoice. Pastor Mitchell, in his commentary, put it this way, if we have that love of Christ towards each other, the cries of joy or the cries of sadness will automatically come. The Christian life does not have to be deadpan existence with no emotion. It's true, you know, emotions that you and I have are given to us of God. When God made us, when God created mankind and subsequently made each, you and each of us, God placed within us emotions. And there's a time and a place for our emotions. And weeping is a result 
of you and I having emotions. If we were emotionless creatures, you and I would not be able to rejoice, not be able to laugh, not be able to have fun, and we wouldn't be able to weep. But the fact that you and I can weep is because God enabled you and I to have that emotion. Now, you and I all know about the fact that we can weep tears of joy. And that's a familiar sight, people weeping tears of joy with excitement about something. But here, weeping is placed in opposition to rejoicing. So this weeping is the opposite of being excited. This weeping is the opposite of, uh, of rejoicing, the opposite of joy. He's speaking about here, you and I are to weep with those that weep. So the opposite to what makes one rejoice is in view. And you need to remember that Paul is calling for empathy here. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, when he says in verse 15b, weep with them that weep, he's calling upon you and I to show empathy to one another. Now you remember, last week we said empathy is that quality that understands the feelings of another. It's demonstrating support for someone else when they're going through something. It's, it's understanding their pain. It's understanding their anguish. It's understanding what they're going through. That you and I are empathetic, not just sympathetic, but we're showing empathy towards them, that we understand their pain. One commentator said this, what that means is that when you find somebody who's really hurting, and maybe you're feeling really great, you don't expect them to adjust their mood to you. True love says, no, I'm going to adjust my mood to them. I'm going to be sensitive to their feelings. Okay? You know, uh, uh, when somebody is weeping and you and I are rejoicing, what it means to weep with them that weep is not that you and I try to get them to rejoice with us when we're rejoicing. That you and I change our mood to them. That we understand their anguish, we understand their pain. There's nothing worse than when you're not feeling good, when you're weeping, when you're discouraged. Somebody coming along who's bubbly and full of joy and excitement and just wants you to get excited with them. Okay. Uh, that's tough. That, that's like heaping, weeping upon weeping, isn't it? You know, your heart is already breaking, and the last thing you need is somebody who is just over the top enjoying themselves. What you need from them is for them to be weeping with you. And to weep with the weeping means we understand how someone feels. That you and I show them that it matters to us how they feel. Now, we need to understand here that the Lord is not calling us to have solutions to their problems. God's not asking us here that when you and I see somebody weeping, that you and I have an answer for their problem. That somehow we're supposed to come alongside them and give them answers. The Lord is not calling upon you and I to be counselors to those who are in crisis. When he calls upon you and I to weep with them that weep, he's telling us to share with these people in their grief. He's not asking you and I to be counselors. He's not asking you and I to solve their problem. You know, one of the hard things about being a pastor is when you get that call that somebody has passed away and you've got to go and talk to the family. And you know, you never know, quite know what to say to them. And, you know, in my ministry, I've had the unfortunate uh, times where I've had to go and talk to families who've lost infants. 
stillborn babies or babies that weren't stillborn but died very young. And you certainly don't know what to say to them. You sit there and you just look at them. And if you're honest, you say to them, look, I just don't know what to say. And the best you can do is pray with them. Because you don't know what to say. You don't know what the answer is. You, you don't know how to comfort somebody. How do you comfort somebody who has lost a child? It's hard enough if they've lost a grandparent who's aged and you know they've had a good innings. That's hard enough. But when it's an infant, it's tough. But you see, God's not asking you and I to have solutions to their problems. He's not asking you and I to be counselors to them to help solve their problem, he's simply asking you and I to feel what they're feeling, to weep with them, to weep as they weep. And when you and I do, when we weep with those that weep, that means that you and I understand how they feel. And we're showing to them that what matters to them matters to us, that what hurts them is something that we understand it matters to us that they're going through a time of anguish. But how often do we fail to show our love by joining in the weeping of others? Pastor Mitchell in his commentary put it this way, and I couldn't say it any better than he did, so I'm just going to quote to you what he said. He said, the saddest words you hear people say are that nobody cares how I feel. That should never be true for a person who is in the body of Christ. Genuine love should exist and therefore there should always be an understanding group of believers to share our feelings with. Sadly though, that is only true in theory more times than not. Many people in the body of Christ are left to cry alone. Sometimes that is because we choose to, but often it's because others are too self-centered or uncaring to notice the grief of others, to care that they are hurting or to take time to express their care. But you know, that's not what the Heavenly Father wants from us. What he wants from you and I as his children is that you and I, in the body of Christ, in the church, would act with compassion. That we would indeed weep with those that weep. He wants you and I to be moved in our hearts, in our souls, with others who are grieving. You and I are to show genuine love by showing them that we understand their pain. We may not have experienced the same pain they've experienced, but we understand that they are suffering. We understand that they're hurting. We understand that they're going through a time of anguish and that we're there for them. Now, if we're going to be able to weep with others, then we need to understand that weeping is not weakness. There's nothing weak about what's been said here. This is not weakness. You know, real men don't cry. This is not what it's saying. Well, some will tell you that weeping is a sign of weakness. It's not true. Because, you know, if you would search the scriptures, if you, you and I would take time to record all of the scriptures where somebody wept, where some godly person wept, it would read like a spiritual who's who. Just think about it. What about men like Joseph, King Hezekiah, King David? 
What about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet? What about Ezra, Peter, John? More importantly, what about the Lord Jesus Christ? It says Jesus wept. And you couldn't describe Jesus as being weak. You see, weeping is an emotion God gave us. And weeping is not weakness. Weeping is an emotion that enables you and I to be empathetic towards other people. And there's a great example of what I'm talking about and what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, where he says, weep with those that weep, back in the book of Job. So go with me, please, to the book of Job. Now, I know most of us immediately talk about Job. We think of the sorrow of Job, but we think of the miserable three friends that he had. But there is something interesting in the early part of the book that reflects what Paul is asking us, what the Lord is asking of you and I in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, where he says, weep with those that weep. It's reflected in the story of Job. You and I know that Job suffered many things, and he suffered in many ways. We know that he lost his wealth and he lost his family. Look in Job chapter 1, verse 13, if you would please. It says, And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and hath consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the age of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped to tell thee. And Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down, upon the ground and worshipped. You know, Job, like nobody else, had a pretty rough life, particularly here in chapter 1. Now, of course, Job has no idea that this is a, uh, something that's going on between Satan and the Lord, and that Satan has said that if he's allowed to have freedom to do things to Job, that Job would deny him, and the Lord says he won't. But Job's got no idea. As far as Job is concerned, this is the worst day of his life. And Job has been afflicted by this. And then you get to chapter 2, and look what happens there, chapter 2 and verse 7. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the, unto his crown. And he took him and postured to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Not only does he lose all of his sheep and all of his camels and all of his produce, and all of his children, now he loses health. He has boils. He was in intense pain. And you can imagine, can't you, that Job is obviously very sad right now. 
There's no rejoicing in the household of Job. This man is afflicted. He is in tears. He is weeping in sadness over what's befallen him. And in Job chapter 2 and verse 13, it tells us that his grief was very great. It says, so they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spoke a word on him, for they saw that, he ha- that his grief was very great. He was in a great deal of anguish. His three friends heard of his grief, and they decided to come and comfort him. Look in verse 11 of chapter 2. And when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, there came every one from his own place, Eliphaz, the Tiamite, and Bilidad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Naamathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward the heavens. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. When the friends first saw the terrible agony of their friend Job, they immediately understood how badly he must have felt. It says there they lift up their eyes afar off and they knew him not. They couldn't recognize him. And they lift up their voices and they wept. They rent their mantles and they put dust upon them. They joined in his weeping. And that's true friends showing genuine friendship. It says they lifted up their voice and wept. They wept with their weeping friend. Verse 13 is an interesting verse. Because it tells us they understood so much that they understand Job's agony that for a whole week they didn't speak a word. That's what it says. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights and none spake a word unto him. They came to Job and they didn't know what to say. What do you say to a man? who has lost all of his cattle, all of his sheep, all of his camels, and lost all of his family and his own health. What do you say to a man who's in that situation, who's in anguish, who's weeping? Well, they didn't say a word for seven days. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think that that was a great comfort to Job. It didn't stop his pain. It didn't answer the spiritual dilemma that he was in. It didn't change anything. Those three friends sitting with him for seven days saying nothing to him didn't change his circumstance one iota. But it must have been a comfort for Job to know that somebody understood his pain and felt it. I'm sure that that was a comfort to him just to have them there. 
You see, by being there, by weeping with him, by sitting there seven days and not saying anything, they showed Job that they understood. They demonstrated empathy for him. Without speaking a word. By just being there and weeping along with him. It showed empathy. Isn't that really what all of us want, even need, when we're hurting? Sometimes we just need somebody to acknowledge that they understand. Sometimes we just need somebody to sit there with us and allow us to weep, allow us to pour out our hearts, allow us to say something or say nothing, but just to be there. Now it's true that answers would be even better. But if none are forthcoming, at least it's a blessing to know that someone understands what we're going through. You know, during some of the dark days of my ministry pastoring, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, Pastor Jim Hogg, would ring me every Sunday morning like clockwork. He never talked about what I was going through, never talked about the, the struggles, never talked about the ministry. He would pick, I'd pick up the phone and he'd say, Good morning, brother. Just wanted to spend a moment reading a scripture to you and praying for you. He'd read a short passage of scripture. He'd then pray for me that God would enable me to get in the pulpit and preach his word. And he'd hang up. And you know, that was some of the greatest comforts that I've ever had. He knew what I was going through. He's a fellow pastor. He knew my pain. He knew my anguish. And every Sunday morning, without fail, as I was sitting in my room and I was reading my Bible and praying and ready for the service, the phone would ring and I knew it was Jim Hogg ringing me. And during that time, also, Pastor Mitchell, probably my closest friend in the ministry, would ring at least once a week. And he'd ask me, How's life in the trenches, brother? I'm praying for you. And he'd say nothing else. But it was a comfort. You see, that is what is being talked about in Romans chapter 12. It's a great comfort and a great courage, encouragement to have somebody to come along and simply just to weep with you when you're weeping. In Job's case, this empathy of his friends led Job to open his mouth and express what was running through his mind. In chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this, After this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which I was, uh, it was said, There is a man-child conceived, let the day be darkness, let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. And he goes on. He pours out his heart after seven days of sitting there with his friends, saying nothing. He then finally pours out his heart. Tells him exactly what he's feeling. Expresses his emotions to them. Pastor Mitchell said this, often people don't say what they are feeling because they don't think that anyone really cares. 
No one has empathized, empathized with them. So why should they tell anyone what is going on in their hearts? But if we take time, and it's often not real fun time either, it takes time to weep with the weeping. If we take time to do that, then they may talk about the hurt they feel. And that's what happened in Job's case. They sat there with him silently for seven days. And then when he really felt they cared for him and understood and they had empathy for him, he then poured out his heart, which he needed to do if he was ever going to move on. But then his friends blew it as they stopped empathizing with him and started criticizing him. Look in chapter 16, if you will please. Job 16. Job 16, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things, miserable comforters are, or are ye all. Shall vain words have an end, or what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? I also could speak as ye do, for if your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you, but I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. <laughs> this is what Job thinks of his friends when they start to criticize him, start to judge him. He says, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforts are you all. <laughs> You're not much help now as you start to criticize. Look in verse 16 of this chapter as well. Verse 16 says, My face is foul with weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Not for any injustice in mine hands. Also my prayer is pure. O earth, cover not thou my blood, and let my cry have no place. Also now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and my record is on high. My friends scorn me, but mine eye poureth out tears unto God. Job continued to weep. His eyes poured tears of sorrow and anguish. But instead of weeping with him, the friends of Job started heaping guilt upon him. They started to blame Job, and their comfort became a curse to him. In Job chapter 18 and verse 1 through 4, we read this, Then answered Bilidad the Shuite, and said, How long will it be, ere ye make an end of words, mark, and afterwards we will speak? Wherefore are ye we counted as beasts, and reputed vile in your sight? He teareth himself in anger. Shall the earth be forsaken of thee? And shall the rock be removed out of its place? And he goes on. Basically what Bildad told him was, Job, just look at yourself. You're tearing yourself in pieces in anger. Your condition is all the evidence that anyone needs to see that you are in sin. And what you need to do is repent, Job. The reason why you're suffering is because you refuse to repent of your sin. Now, Job did need rebuking, by the way, by the time we get to chapter 18. But he didn't need it from his friends. They didn't know why Job was suffering. They merely assumed they understood why he was suffering. They were in no position 
to bring rebuke upon him. Only the Lord could rebuke Job. It was not their role to rebuke him. And we need to be careful that we don't make the same mistake, that you and I don't make assumptions when we're called upon to minister to a friend who is weeping, that we don't assume that we know why they're going through what they're going through. That you and I, because we want to be a counselor, because we want to be a friend, because we want to offer solutions, we then assume we understand why they're going through what they're going through, and you and I then put forward our assumptions, and what we do with that is we simply make the matters worse. Because most times you and I don't know why they're suffering. We don't know why they're going through what they're going through. We don't know why God's allowing this in their lives. We really don't know. I mean, think about it. Why was it that Peter and James end up in prison, but James is killed, he's martyred, and Peter's left free? Explain that to the family. I mean, which one has the foot and mouth disease all the time? It's Peter, not James. And yet the Lord sees fit to allow James to be martyred and Peter to live. Explain that. Why? I can't explain it. The truth is that most times when people are suffering, when people are going through anguish, when people are going through sickness, going through other things, those, when those things happen so often, we don't know why. And when you and I seek to give to them our opinion, we often make it worse. We're careful that we don't make assumptions. Unless we know the answer, unless we really know the truth, we should never make assumptions. Unless we're truly in a position to rebuke and to advise someone who is hurting, it's best if we continue our comfort by showing empathy, simply weeping with them. We'll all go through times in life when there are tears that will be shed. And Romans chapter 12 verse 15 is saying that when we love somebody, we relate to somebody, and we understand they're hurting, then we cry with them, we weep with them, and we have empathy for them. That we don't have solutions for them, that we don't have answers for them, but we simply just understand what they're going through. You see, you and I ought to share the load. When others are going through trouble, we ought to weep with them. I read this illustration this week. Uh, some historians have revealed this about a time in Israel, the time of Jesus. In the temple in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus, they had an unusual custom. The temple was crowded with people much of the time. So they made everybody walk in one door and out the other door. During the time of Jesus in Herod's temple, the worshippers would all enter the temple mount from the south, going up the steps of Solomon's porch. Then they would do whatever business they were doing in the temple, upon the temple mount, and they would all exit out of the northeastern gate. There was one exception to that rule. Whenever there was a Jewish family in Jerusalem who had gone through a genuine time of heartache, and sorrow, that family was allowed to walk totally against the flow of the people traffic. They would enter where everyone else was exiting, that's the northeastern corner, and they would exit where everyone else was entering via Solomon's porch. 
and is said. They did that so that all the worshippers were forced to confront the faces of the people who were hurting so they wouldn't miss their pain. I wonder how many times we come to church and we don't really look into the face, into the eyes of the people around us. We just sort of pass them by. We're not aware of their pain. We're not aware of their agony. We don't understand the suffering that others are going through. And yet the Bible tells in Romans 12, 15 that you and I are to weep with them that weep. That's what a true friend does. That's what Romans 12, 15 calls those in the body of Christ to do. To not only rejoice with them that do rejoice, but to weep with those. I trust that we all might be willing to take the time and the care to be a burden bearer, to demonstrate genuine love by genuine understanding of people who are hurting and weeping. This all makes the body of Christ a blessing. One of the benefits of being saved is that we have friends that rejoice with us and weep with us. You know, a characteristic of today's society is hard-heartedness where people care little or nothing about the problems and sorrows of others, they care more about themselves than do others. And you and I as believers need to guard against that kind of hard-heartedness. Somebody said, true love will interest us in the sorrows and joys of one another and teach us to make them our own. Remember, Christ rejoiced with those that rejoiced. He rejoiced with them at the marriage at Canaan. The Lord knew how to rejoice, them rejoiced, and he wept with them that wept. Remember when he visited Mary and Martha after Lazarus had died? He says, Jesus wept. And beloved, we all need this Christ-like characteristic of empathy. Rejoicing with those that rejoice and weeping with those that weep. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this night. And Lord, for such a short verse, it really has such a powerful lesson for us as believers. But Lord, if we could learn to practice these Christ-like characteristics, if we could truly learn to rejoice with those that do rejoice and learn to weep with those that weep, if we could truly have empathy one for another, what a difference it would make. Help us to learn to be empathetic towards one another, particularly in this matter of weeping with those that weep, that you might get all the praise and all the glory. Bless now this night, we pray in Jesus' name.